Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. I'm Rod. And you're listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Today, we are looking at the March 27th sermon called Got Milk? But first, real quick, because we record these on a Monday night each week, it doesn't give me a ton of time to reflect on the sermon, to think of things to bring up. So there's one thing that I thought of, I think, Wednesday of last week that tied back into the previous sermon, um, which was on the end of chapter one. Real quick, Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this ties in to First Peter. Yeah, First Peter chapter 1 and verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And the thing that when I was reading in Isaiah and I saw that, the thing that I thought of was, especially as we've talked about, if this is a largely Jewish audience, when they hear this quotation that Peter makes, they'll probably think back to other places where that phrase or those words are used. And one of them is Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is the well-known one that that ends with, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." And especially for an audience like Peter is dealing with, when you hear that and the immediate connotation is that from Isaiah, I mean, for me, that's an added layer of encouragement that they would have. That would be tremendously encouraging. And then when I hear you read that, I think uh, automatically of the movie from the 80s, Chariots of Fire, because that's uh, they made that prominent in one of Eric Little's speech. So... uh, Peter was trying to get them into the Word and uh, get them to remember God's faithfulness to the nation. Uh, It's the same God, so he would be faithful to them as well in their uh, time of need and distress. And I think we saw that this week when we looked at, um, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that's a callback to a very familiar passage in the book of Psalms. That's right, Psalm 34, where David is um, giving us the results of being, uh, spending time alienated from his own country, from his own people, living with the Philistines. And he saw, even in that time of alienation, even in that time where he was a sojourner in a foreign country, he saw God's faithfulness. And we read, uh, I guess, eight or nine verses from that psalm during the sermon, and you could just tell, you could just uh, feel the encouragement that David was trying to impress upon others, His uh, so that generations after that would find that same encouragement. And so Peter picks up on that, and uh, I thought that connection was really good. You know, it's kind of like me, and uh, when uh, a phrase comes up, it, it can be anything, a phrase comes up, 
I will go and grab that phrase and start singing a pop song from that phrase. And uh, I know you've grew up with me doing that time and time again. And so that would be what it would be kind of like for uh, the readers of this book. When Peter uses those phrases, they automatically light on those songs and those instances from the left side of the book. So one thing that I would encourage people to do is, especially in the New Testament, anytime you see a quotation from an Old Testament passage, it's great to go back to that section in the Old Testament and to get the context of that and to read through that, because there's often so many ties deeper in that that you'll be able to get once you know. For example, when Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a callback to the book of Psalms as well. And so if you read through that, there's so much context in there that one phrase ignite in your mind and help you recall a whole passage. So it's always helpful to go back and get the full context of what the New Testament author is referencing. And you can really get color, the color of the New Testament. It, it's, it's the difference in uh, reading the Bible in black and white uh, and, and reading it in color where it opens up and you it's like you step into the mind of the writer and you see what he says and you're encouraged in the way that he wanted to encourage his readers. So I think that's a great point. Well, now that I've you know gotten my piece out of the way, we can go to this week's sermon now. And first off, one of the things that didn't really have anything to do with the passage, but you use some pictures from the 80s. I will say supposedly from the 80s because Cameron and I vetted these pictures and two of them were definitely photoshopped. (laughs) I gave y'all the pictures and then you came back to me right before the service and you said, Dad, I don't think these are real pictures. And to be honest, it's hard to tell because in the 80s, big hairdos were in. And so uh, after discussions, I I did not want to present something as fact out there that might not have been. I mean, to me, if you'd have lived back in the 80s, those pictures could have passed for the 80s. So, uh, but, but I contrasted that, something that was in style, with something that was more permanent. And uh, I showed pictures of James Bond and how he's always in style because he sets the style. And I think that's what Peter was doing. He was telling Uh, his readers to put aside or put off those things that are now out of style for you, things like malice or wickedness, things like deceit, things like hypocrisies. He uses the plural there. And envies, he uses the plural there. And slanders, he uses the plural there as well. Because those things can show themselves in various forms in the believer's life. And they really shouldn't have anything to do in a believer's life. They shouldn't be part of a, of a believer's character. And he's working those things out. He's laying those things aside. Because when you're hurt and when you're discouraged, our natural tendency is to protect ourselves. And so um, Peter says, don't go there. Get rid of this stuff. Lay this stuff aside. And instead, go after, hunger for uh, spiritual or reasonable or or that which is rational milk. Crave it like a newborn would. And I do have a question about some of the translation differences in this because um, I usually use the ESV or the NIV, and neither one of those said 
crave the pure spiritual milk of the word, but you mentioned that the NASB and the King James do. So where do they get that from? Where's, what's the tie in there? Yeah, so the word is logigon. It's a derivative from logos. And what was happening was uh, the King James translators went back and they tied that to what we started our podcast with, uh, verses 22 through 25 of chapter 1. And so they are linking that and, and they're pulling that, the, the strength of that. And so they are, they are saying that word, which means spiritual, is translated um, in the New American Standard, one other place in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, as your reasonable, that's the word, reasonable service to God. And so, um, you know, it's an interpretation. I think it's the majority, uh, the majority of commentators interpret it that way. But to me, if Peter wanted to make that crystal clear, he could have done it that way. And so I interpret it uh, the way many knew, although I think Calvin probably interpreted the way I did. And I did find some authors. Uh, the movement in scholarship has been more recently towards this interpretation, that it includes the word, but it's bigger than the word, that we should feed on those things that will nurture our relationship with Christ, that will keep that up to speed. And and I will admit that uh, the word uh, as nurturing is, is probably 80, 70 percent, 80 percent. But there are other things that nurture us. Prayer, our relationship with others, the encouragement we receive from others, worship. There are other things that we should put ourselves into. And uh, I couldn't help but think of that Snickers commercial. There's a commercial with uh, Betty White where Betty White is playing football. The person that she's playing is named Mike, and they, they say, come on, Mike, you're playing football like Betty White. They give him a Snickers bar, and, and he becomes Mike. He's back to his old self. And they said, well, you know, when you're hungry, you're not you. And I think that really plays into when you are lacking the nutrition of the word and worship and prayer, then you're not who God desires you to be. You're not all that you can be in living out the Christian life. Uh, and I think that's a, a, an Ill, good illustration of what Peter's going after here. And the way, you know, you and I, we... I must have worked two hours just trying to come up with a video clip. I mean, we sat down and we, we talked through different video clips and tried to come up with just the right one, and I, and I slept on it, and I woke up with the idea or the concept from Superman 2. And the reason I use that is because Superman puts himself in an environment. It's an environment of protection while the other villains— they are exposed to things that makes them lose their power. And my thought was this. If, if Christians are getting their spiritual nutrition from the world, they will lose the power. They will lose the, the thoughts of who they are. They will lose their identity in the world. And so I think it's important for us to be on point about this, to nourish ourselves with the craving, with the hunger that a newborn baby does in making sure 
that we are proactively nourishing ourselves, putting ourselves in environments that nurture that relationship with God. Because if we just think it's going to happen automatically, and I think some people, their theology thinks it happens automatically. Once you're born again, you're a new creation, and you know, it, you're just set on an automatic path. I don't believe that. I believe people need to study the Word. People need to be part of a, of a fellowship to be encouraged by other believers. People need to worship. People need to pray. People need to see those those victories, those small victories, and um, uh, I think that's what Peter was getting uh, getting at there. Yeah, I think I want to maybe give a slight point of clarification from what you said. When you are born again, you are a new creation, but you're not. It's not automatic. The extent of that new creation, you are a new creation, but there is. I mean, just like you could exercise and get more muscle, or you could not exercise and not have muscle. Yes, you you, you have uh, a new position, but the growth doesn't happen automatically in that position. You don't fill out that suit, as it were. Yeah, if if someone understood me as saying you're not you're you're not born again, you're not born anew. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is. Just because you are born anew, reborn, the growth doesn't happen automatically. And 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 the theological clarification uh, I want or to address is, is simply this: is that there's some people that will look at a believer's life, and they would see things that uh, that you would describe as malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and they would naturally automatically assume that they're not believers. That's not what Peter says here. Peter says, no, you got to put these things aside so you can be all that God wants you to be. Um, and you've got to look for nourishment in a different environment. Yeah, it's the process of sanctification is That's the, right. the theological term. That's right. And I can, I can tell you there's a, diff, a, a lot of reasons why someone uh, might uh, shortchange or— uh, sabotage that whole process. They could be in, a, in the wrong church, a, a cult or something that doesn't take the Word of God seriously. They could be taking cues from their environment. There's a whole host of reasons. And what we're trying to do, what we believe the Word is trying to do, is encourage them to now grow in this relationship, get that inheritance that we've talked about several weeks ago, to set your hope on what lies ahead for you. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you for breaking that down. Very helpful. And are we taking a break from First Peter for Easter? Do you yes. want to say? Yes. The next two okay. weeks, we're going to take a, a break from Easter. Because this was kind of, we talked about it, but the chapter divisions and the verses and things weren't there for the original readers. This was just a regular letter like you would have received in the mail. So even though this is the first part of chapter two, it's actually fitting better in chapter one, and so now we're coming up to a nice break. Yeah, because he completes his fifth imperative there, telling us what to do as a result of the teaching. And beginning in verse four, he's going to start some more teaching now for, for just a few verses. He's, he wants them to understand some facts, uh, and then he'll tell them how to act on those facts a little later. Got it. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Sunrise Church.